Well, what is up, movie lovers? Merry Christmas to you guys. And this is a very special episode. Wasn't planning on doing this. Uh, we are going to be going over Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But one thing I want to mention beforehand is this isn't like an ordinary episode. Because mostly what I do is I come on, I say, okay, this is what we're talking about. And then I pick a spiritual component from the movie and then I give my review about the movie and then yeah I talk I, I basically talk about kind of like the thing that um, I found impactful and that we can look from a biblical worldview and so but today is not that day because this is me I wrote a sermon for um, a, a church in Kendrick Idaho uh, for Christmas Eve, for the Christmas Eve service. And so I gave a sermon there and I wanted to just share with it, with you it on the podcast. And so this is my sermon that I gave to Kendrick Church. And I just hope you guys enjoy. You know, one of the things, my goal and my mission on this podcast, if you're new, if you just like turn to this, episode, you're like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Like, yeah, that movie rocked. Um, you know, my goal is to share with you the gospel and the Bible through the movies and their messages. And that's exactly what I did with the sermon on Christmas Eve. So I hope you guys will take a look, take a listen, and just be filled with joy that Jesus is is with us. And so with that, guys, let's start the show. Whether it's comedy, action adventure, drama, horror, and everything else in between, all movies at least have one thing in common. They all share a message with you. This is Movie Night Apologetics, where I, movie apologist Clark, review and examine movies and their messages from a Christian perspective. Well, good morning, my movie lover family. I'm so excited to be back here on the podcast this Christmas day. And if you don't know me, I am movie apologist Clark. And you know what? I go to uh, Venture Church in Moscow, Idaho, and I'm just so proud to be a part of them because I have an amazing pastor that actually teaches me um, just how to follow Jesus and to love him and to serve him. And my hope and prayer for this episode today is that we see why Jesus came to the world as God in the flesh. And so that's, that's my goal today because that is what Chris, the Christmas story is all about. So for years now, I have been going with my friend Blaine to the movie theaters to watch some amazing movies on the big screen. And one of our favorite genres to watch is the superhero movies like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, The Avengers, and so on. Yeah, Earlier this year, back in May... In the middle of May, I believe, we both went and bought our tickets to see the final volume of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And even though I love the characters in these movies, the plots of the first two volumes were kind of me. I mean, they're okay. They weren't great. They were just, they were just there. 
What I wasn't expecting was to be wowed from this movie. Because at the end of it, I came to the conclusion, really, that in this movie, it has one of the most interesting villains I've seen in Marvel. Yes, even more than Thanos, which, if you can believe. I mean, I know Thanos was a critical part in the Marvel Universe, but I really think uh, the high evolutionary was a lot more interesting than Thanos. Because here's why. Because to sum it all up, the villains want to... So the the high evolutionary, he wants to create a perfect species and ultimately the perfect society to rule over. And here's the underlying issue. If his species or societies become imperfect, he will either leave them or destroy them and move on to try and create a perfect society. So you imagine he's just, and that's why there's so many uh, species and societies in the Marvel universe is because he's creating them. And then once they become imperfect, he just leaves them, abandons them, and then creates more. And they become imperfect, and he leaves them, abandons them, and so on. And just this keeps spiraling and spir- spiraling. So in the same way, though, some of us can go through a season where we feel as though God has left and abandoned us because some of our, because maybe it's some of the hardship you go through. Maybe you're going through a seasonal relationship with a loved one, a spouse, a family member, or maybe there's a certain particular sin that you're struggling with and you're wondering, well, I mean, God, I mean, he really, he's probably not putting up with this sin. He's probably just leaving me. Or maybe on a bigger scale, you just look at the world. Maybe you turn on the news, grab your remote, and all you hear from the news reporter is, Hey, how are you? Good morning. Let me tell you about all the horrible things that are happening in our country and all over the world. And maybe you're left to ask the question, where is God in all this destruction and chaos? Why doesn't God just do something and get rid of all these sinful people? Why doesn't he right the wrongs? Why doesn't he get rid of what's wrong in the world? Make it perfect. Why does he allow all this sin and destruction to happen to people? And this is a legitimate question that people have today. Either you have asked it or you know someone who is asking it and one of my goals is and my hope for you today is that we can answer this question with the birth of Jesus Christ but before we can ask the why Jesus came we have to know how we as a humanity as a society got into this state of the world why is there so much wars Why is there so much chaos? Why is there so much sin and destruction in the world? And so with that, let's start out with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created, he created the heavens and the earth. He made everything in the world good. He made man, you and I, in his image, both men 
and women reflect the character and nature of God. God first made Adam to be a keeper of the garden. His role was to name all the animals, to name the birds, to name the bears, the mountain lions, the goats, the ducks. He, he was, his role was to name all the animals that God created and to keep God's one and only commandment, which was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Here's all the fruit. Here's all of what you could eat. Everything that you see in this garden is yours, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That I do not want you to touch. And then Adam, after being tired from a long day of naming all the animals, he fell into a deep sleep. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created a helper fit for him out of the side of his rib. And when he awoke, he saw the first female was overjoyed. I mean, honestly, he was overjoyed so much that he sang a song to her. I mean, if any of you guys out there, I mean, did you ever feel so overjoyed of seeing your gal that you sang, you created a song for you, for her? I know I haven't, but Adam sure did. And he was sure grateful. He delighted in it. And they both were in love together. They walked in the garden with God together in a perfect relationship. Until one day a serpent came to Eve and tempted her and she ate of the fruit and gave some to Adam who was with her. And then mankind rebelled against God. Humanity rebelled against God. And now sin and destruction entered the world. Humanity and God are now separated. There is now a chasm in the middle. So the question then becomes, how do we get back into a a right relationship with our Creator? When reading the Bible, we find that it is only through the faith and the personal work of Jesus Christ. But why? Why can't we just do a bunch of good works to make us in a right standing with God? Why can't it be that we do more good than bad? We sin or we, we, we do more good and sin less. The problem with this is, is that what, how do we define sin? Can each person come up with their own list of what sin is? Can someone say, you know what? Murder and stealing are sins, but lying's okay. While at the same time, can someone else come up and say, you know what? Murder and lying are sins, but you know what? Stealing's okay. Like, I'm hungry. Um, there's food at that store. I, I, I don't really have much money. I want to go get something to eat. So I'm going to die in a dash. Is the definition of sin based on the individual or is it based on an outside authority that is higher than ourselves like the God of the universe? Does he say what sin is? And he does. He does all over the Bible say what sin is. But one place I want to focus in particular is Jeremiah two eleven thirteen, which says this, Has a nation changed its gods? 
even though they are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly destitute, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. So pay attention here. God is clearly declaring what sin is. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God's people committed a great sin by forsaking God himself. They said, God, simply, uh, we don't want you. We don't want you as our Lord. We're going to give you the middle finger and we're going to pursue other idols and other things in this life. And for us, that can be anything, right? We can pursue our job, our marriage, our kids, family, sex life, TV, TikTok, money, house, car, health. We can pursue anything other than God. We could say, you know what, God, I don't love you. I don't want you. All I want are the things that I see in this earth. And those can take the place of God. God created us to be in a relationship with him. Cars were created to run off gasoline. You put any other substance in there, like, say, sugar water, well, it's going to be pretty evident pretty quickly that your car is not going to be able to run because that car was designed and created to run off gasoline. God created us to enjoy him, to love him, to treasure him above everything. At one point, Adam and Eve walked with him in the Garden of Eden to have fellowship together. God is, in a sense, our gasoline. He's what we run off of. But humanity as a whole has decided to pour sugar water into their, into their tank rather than being satisfied with God and treasuring him. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees asked Jesus in verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Of the law, in the law. I mean, that's a fair question. I want to know what the greatest commandment is. What's, I mean, what is, you know, if you go to a job, it's like, okay, what's the number one rule that I need to abide by in order to, you know, keep my job? <laughs> and, and so they're probably thinking like, okay, what's the number one rule? Okay, we got all these lists here. What's the number one rule we going to keep? Okay. And he and Jesus says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets hinge quite literally on these two commandments. To break the first and greatest commandment is the greatest sin we can break out of all the commandments God gives to us. Because when we break that, we break the second one, which is like loving people, obviously. So in the Ten Commandments, which God gives to Moses, uh, after Moses frees his people, frees God's people from the land of Egypt, he, he gives Moses these Ten Commandments, and for the commandments is, is how our relationship is with God. He's like, here's my commandments between us and you. And then the other six were, here's the commandments I give to you in relationship to each other. And I just got to ask, when looking at these Ten Commandments, can we fully, with confidence, say that we have kept them perfectly? That means you've never told one lie in your life. You have never disobeyed your parents. I got kids. I got three of them. Let me tell you, they disobey you at an early age. It's going to be pretty hard to convince me or me to even to convince myself that I have never broken this commandment. Have you really, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, Loved God fully. Can we as image bearers of God really say we haven't broken any of his commandments? And the Bible says quite clearly in Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person in this room right now There's not one person that you see in this life. There's not one person in this world that has ever kept all of God's commandments perfectly 100% of the time. So can you see that if God were to wipe out all the sinners in the world all the sinful people in the world, if he were to wipe them out, then no one would cease to exist and therefore no one would have a chance to be reconciled to God. So what did he do if he didn't wipe us out or abandon us? The Bible says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived with us in our sinful states, yet he was without sin. He never once disobeyed God. The Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, yet he was tempted in every way in every way that we were. He was tempted by Satan himself, just like Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan in the garden. Except 
hedonic cave to Satan's temptation. He loved his Heavenly Father fully and completely, and he loved us as his neighbor. And then he did something even more radical, something that very few people do, but he even did an even more radical thing. I mean, very few people would die for their friends or their loved ones, but he actually did something greater. He died for his enemies. He died for people who hated him, who gave him the middle finger. He went to the cross to pay for our sin. We in our natural state as sinners are separated from God. He is holy and just and righteous. There is a chasm between us and God. And Jesus came to be that bridge for us. He came on this Christmas day to reconcile us to God. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. He came to reconcile us to God. It says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. All we deserve as sinful human beings is God's wrath. We deserve to be separated from him in a horrible place called hell for eternity because we have broken his laws. But thankfully we don't have to be separated because the next part of the verse in Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to share with you a quote that has impacted my life. This quote is from a guy named Brennan Manning who struggled with the love of God. And I'm going to read it to you. In the 33 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in western Pennsylvania, and literally thousands of hours a prayer, and meditation, and silence and solitude in those years. I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus will ask one question and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? that I waited for you day after day and longed to hear the sound of your voice. The real believers will respond and say, I believed in your love. And I try to shape my life as a response to it. But so many of us who are faithful in our ministry, our practice, our church going are going to say, well, frankly, no, sir, 
I never really believed it. Now there's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. You see, no one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of God's love. But then again, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see why it's so important to lay a hold of these basic truths of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. We make God in our own image and he winds up being as rude and fussy and narrow-minded and legalistic and judgmental and unloving and unforgiving as we are. I've been in churches in Miami and Seattle and San Diego and St. Louis and honest to God, so many Christians I meet is too small for me because he's not the God of the word. He's not the God that is revealed in and by Jesus Christ, who at this very moment comes to your seat, comes in your headphones and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every sin and shame that has darkened your past. I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life your inconsistent discipleship. And my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. I get so emotional with this quote because honestly, I have felt the weight of my sin. All of my rebellion against God. All of the times that I've dishonored him by treating his image bears with resentment not with dignity or respect I've seen the weight of my sin in my thought life all the pornography that I've watched the times where I just have, all the times that I've fallen short of God's standard. <sighs> no one in human history, though, has ever loved me like Jesus. You're telling me that we rebelled against him 
And that instead of leaving us and forsaking us, he came down from heaven to live a life we could not live and to die a death that we deserve so that we could be reconciled to God by placing our trust and our faith in God because Jesus is the bridge that helps us bridge us to God. He's the only way. You're telling me that that is the God that created the world. He's not the dumb high evolutionary garbage that we see on the big screen. He actually wants to be with a sinful person like me. Go me, throw me another religion. That ain't out there. The greatest news in the Christmas story is that Jesus came to us as we are and not as we should be. We didn't have to be perfect in order for him to come. It says in Romans 5, 8, he loved us so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took God's wrath for you, for me, even though we were sinning and rebelling against him. I'm so amazed and marvel at the God of the Bible. Our culture says God has left us. That dumb movie says God has left us. But the Bible says God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Culture says God left us to suffer. The Bible says Jesus came into suffering on the cross for us. Culture says God is mean and just waiting to strike you down for every screw up that you make. The Bible says God does not delight in the death of the wicked and the wicked, but he desires everyone to repent and believe. And my question, if you're an unbeliever listening to this is, do you want to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus? You don't have to get yourself all morally cleaned up before God before you accept Jesus right now, he offers you right now eternal life. Are you willing to receive the free gift of Jesus Christ and become a follower of his today? Today, Christmas is a reminder of this fact every year that God loves us and he wants to be with us and he wants us to love him back. So, do you want to be with Him? Do you want to be made right with Him? Do you want a relationship with Christ and be with God forever? There's not a magic prayer that you have to say or a card that you have to sign or an aisle that you have to walk down from. All you have to do is repent of your sin, cry out to God for forgiveness, and trust in Jesus. Trust in the death he died for your sin. Trust in the resurrection of Christ. You know, you came in a car, I'm assuming this morning, 
you trusted fully in the car that it would not freak out on you and wreck. You trust in that seat that you're sitting in this morning. Time and time again, that seat has not failed you. Trust in him like you would a parachute. Like it's the only thing that can, he's the only one that can save your soul. He's the only one that can reconcile you to God. And the result of actually placing our faith in him, trusting in him, is that we're going to say, I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to treasure you. I want to obey you the rest of my life. Today on this wonderful Christmas day, if you are new here to the show, is I just challenge you to join a community of believers, a community of Christian believers in an area where you live and be a part of a faithful community who loves Jesus and wants to see you transformed in your walk with Christ. And you can either, and, that, and also I want you to either buy a Bible, I, I'll recommend you a Bible on the description here, or you can download a Bible on your phone and just start reading. Read the scripture for yourself. Just say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to start today. I'm going to go to John. I'm going to read John 1 today, and I'm going to just chew on it. And then tomorrow I'm going to do John 2 and read that and ask God to reveal himself more and more to me as I read and just write down questions, ask questions, ask the pastor that you go to a church, ask the other believers around you about the Bible. So my prayer for you today is that God's word will not return void. It's been such a pleasure and honor to be able to be a part of this podcast and just share the good news of Jesus Christ. I just thank you so much. And I'm just amazed by his grace. With that, guys, like my friend Blaine always says, after we get done with the movies, don't party too hard without me. What? Catch you guys later. Whether it's at home or at the movie theaters, Movie Night Apologetics exists to help you, the listener, know the Christian worldview through the movie's messages. I am movie apologist Clark, and this is Movie Night Apologetics Podcast. 